All right, welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. And right now we discuss the Utah State legislative session. I'm Corey Astle, joined as usual by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. Hey, hello, Todd. Two very <laughs> fun guests today Representative uh, Cheryl Acton, Representative uh, Rosemary Lesser. Welcome, ladies. Hello. Representatives. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So, good, uh, good to be here. We, uh, we, we want to hear from you and especially get a sense for the bills that you're running here at the end in the, in the, the last little sprint. But uh, first, I'm sure we'll have a couple of topics to talk about. But the very, at the very beginning, we'd love to hear a little bit about you. So Representative Acton, who do you represent? Yeah. What's your day job? Tell us a little about yourself, if you don't mind. Okay, I represent part of West Jordan, about a third of West Jordan. And um, this is my job. This is my full-time job. Um, and I've been in the legislature. This is my fifth session. So um, I now understand how it all works, even the financial part. That has always been the, the most mysterious part. How does, how does everything get paid? Um, so it's really good. Um, and I run just a variety of bills this year. Um, I mean, we can get to that in a minute. But anyway, yeah, let's, I, let, let us give you a chance yeah. to, to walk through those. But real quick, yeah. you said this is your day job. Can you give us give us a sense and those who are listening, give us a sense for what does that mean in the off season in particular? So oh, in June, know, what does that mean for you? What are you doing? It is a little slower in June, but it never really stops. I'm sure um, Senator Weiler would, and Rosemary would agree. I mean, you can really make it a full-time job, um, meeting with constituents, attending events, um, even just, um, you know, anything. It could be anything. Going to schools, speaking to, you know, AP civics classes, that sort All of right. thing. I mean, it can be a full-time job, and it, and it often is. You're also working on bills year-round and, so, and studying you know, and then we have, of course, our interim meetings. And so, although it's probably not 40 hours a week year round, but it right. is. And then during the campaign, you know, you've got all of that going on. So on the side, though, what I do in addition is I am a writer and an editor on the side, but I hardly have made any time for that since I've been in the legislature. So got it. Interesting stuff. All right, uh, Representative Lesser, can you tell us a little about yourself? Who do you represent? What do you sure. normally do? Sure. I, um, I represent House District 10, which is Ogden and South Ogden. And uh, prior to the legislature, um, my entry, which was only in January of 2020, um, I served as an obstetrician gynecologist here in Ogden and delivered about 6,000 babies here in Weber County. Wow. And, yep. And before that time, I was in the Air Force as a military physician. And so I came to Utah in 1992. So pretty soon I'm going to celebrate 30 years here. And, um, you know, I, I know that there are so many people who are descendants of the pioneers, but after 30 years, I'm um, feeling very much like a Utah. That's great. That's great. I mean, 30 years, that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> Well, I think what's even more remarkable is the overlap that Senator Weiler and I had. Todd, do you want to share with them our remarkable overlap? Except you're on mute, Todd. <laughs> yeah, I served my um, LDS mission in West Germany from 1986 to 1988, and I was 
um, stationed in some of the same areas as Dr. Lesser was with the military. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it, it was pretty remarkable. In fact, I think that Todd probably bounced some babies that I delivered in Germany on his knee when he was a young missionary. So it could have uh, happened. It, it could have happened. It, it, it's pretty remarkable when you think about all of the different ways that each of us are um, linked in so many ways, whether by geography. And now we are all linked together, you know, in this group in serving, serving the people of Utah. Very true. Very cool. Well, Todd, I'm going to kick it to you. What, what do you think of the, uh, the top stories for week five? Well, um, obviously, uh, I think Governor Herbert coming out a couple of days ago and saying that he would uh, veto the Hope Scholarship Bill if it passes has got to be one of the top stories. Um, you know, the, the Great Salt Lake uh, Bill that Representative and Speaker Brad Wilson's running just passed through committee. Um, there was a really big hearing on Friday um, for uh, some a criminal justice bill that would allow some forced statements from police officers called Garrity statements to not be available, uh, you know, for open public and records requests. And so the media is going to make a huge issue out of this, even though I think the policy is absolutely the right policy that, you know, adopting the bill would do. And the only people in the state that care about this is the media. So uh, and we've already picked one fight with the media on making them ask permission to come in the Senate on the Senate floor. And, you know, it, and I just want to comment on that because that bill that that bill is passed and that was just a Senate thing. But could you imagine if the jazz were on the court warming up for the game and the media is just walking right out of the court and trying to grab them from an interview without permission? I mean, I understand the jazz is not taxpayer funded, but this whole idea that the that we actually had the head of KUTV news come and testify against the, the new rule and said that because um, we had a reporter who was lurking outside a senator's office when the door was like one inch open and and then was listening and then reported on what what they heard from a private wow. conversation. And that, that's one of the one of the reasons that prompted the rule. And the head of KUTV News, uh, who seems like a nice guy, basically said reporters have the right to do that and to walk into any office they want to at any time. Um, he said if the door is all the way closed, then they, they should knock a second before they walk in. But that that's their attitude. And, um, you know, I think I, I don't know of a single legislator who, um, you know, who who won't talk to the media. We we hold a press availability every single day at a, at noon, uh, you know, in the Senate after, after our morning floor time. So anyway, um, but Corey, before we go on, when Cheryl Acton, when Representative Acton said that she understands the budget, let me just give you a little insider tip in the Senate. Uh, well, in both the house and the Senate, if there's a bill that has a fiscal impact above $10,000 and it's been $10,000, like since 1887, I think, but um, that bill has to wait until the budget is completed to see if it's going to get it funded. If it's under $10,000, we pretend like it's zero. Um, so in the House, if, if I pass a bill through a House committee uh, that has a fiscal note above 10, it'll go into the House rules and wait for the last week. So the House members never really see that happening. But in the Senate, we'll, we'll debate that bill, the House bill, and we'll pass it from second reading on a third reading. And then we have to table it because our procedures are different than the House. And it has to sit tabled on third reading until we see if it's funded or not. And every year I have House members calling me saying, why is my bill tabled? 
<laughs> like if I'm the floor sponsor, I'm like, oh, well, there's a fiscal now. Oh, it'll get funded. Just go ahead and pass it. No, we can't do that. No, you can. You can't do it. I talked to leadership. No, actually, we can't do it. And because the House doesn't have, you guys don't see the bills that are, the Senate bills that are tabled because they're in your rule. They go back to rules committee anyway. So that's kind of a fun little insider's tip. I did not know that. So I don't yeah. know everything. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I, I and and because, you know, uh, there's nobody that tells House members how the Senate's a little bit different. And there's nobody that tells the senators how the House is a little bit different. The other big difference is in, if you're on a House committee, um, you have to reserve the right to make a motion if you speak on a bill. We don't do that in the Senate. And so then when we get in these combined committees like uh, appropriations, a lot of House members they, they just think that that's the legislative rule, but that's that's a house rule. And so if there's senators on the committee, then the, the house rule, the house only rules don't apply. And so you'll always see senators confused when a house member says, oh, and I like to reserve re reserve the right to make a motion. We're like, whatever. <laughs> you know. Anyway, because we don't we don't do that one. So, so there are differences, Corey, yeah. between the bodies. So, so Cheryl, I want to give you a chance. Uh, what, are, what are you hearing from constituents? I know we want to give you a chance to talk about the bills you're running, but what are you hearing the most about and what's, what's really taking the most of your time right now? Well, the thing that I'm hearing the most about are these education bills, but especially the HOPE scholarship right now is, you know, HB 331, hot topic. Um, and another one that 234, HB 234, I understood that he had held the bill, which was the one to um, require teachers to post their entire uh, lesson plan a week ahead. Mm. That oh went over like a lead balloon. That, <laughs> that's never been actually voted on. I don't even think in a committee, but people have this assumption that the entire legislature is behind it and everything. And so that one, but I understand he may have revived it. I just heard that today. So I don't know. Um, and then there's a Senate bill 114, which is another education bill. So I'm hearing about a lot of education bills and all in opposition to those. So almost like entirely. Got some organized opposition, it sounds like to me. Well, and let me just jump in for a second. I'm, I'm not going to support the HOPE scholarship. I'm not going to support 234, whether Representative Tusher revives it or not. I am supporting 114, which just says when the district is... Um, when, when the districts are buying a new book or when a, when a curriculum is being updated, that they have to give notice to parents. I think that's a reasonable, transparent request. Unfortunately, however, I think 114 has been tainted by these other bills. But 114, if you read the bill and if you think about it, it's not a bad bill. But I'm not telling you, Cheryl, how to vote on that. I'm just yeah. saying I think they all kind of got mushed together. Uh, but I do think, uh, you know, I, I don't know if people know this, but represent, uh, Senator Fillmore and his wife are both former school teachers. And, um, you, you know, it's not like they don't understand public education, but mm -hmm. just throw that out there. Rosemary, how about you? What are you what are you hearing from constituents? Well, the same constituents um, concerns that are affecting uh, Representative Adkin further south definitely have made their way up north as well. And there is pretty much universal uh, opposition to the Hope Scholarship, for sure. Um, I, I keep hearing from people who um, are writing about the vaccine passport, and they seem to be especially upset about the fact that it was circled. 
and are um, urging me to uh, uniformly uncircle it, I figured that it's not going to do me much good to explain to the fact that I actually don't have the power to uncircle it. Um, but, <laughs> but you could try. Yeah, right. <laughs> At chance. But anyway, so so those are the those are the things that were were going on last week was also kind of interesting in that we had two bills, um, and I know that you had um, one of them originated in the Senate, but we had two sort of medical bills that had to do with expanded practice that um, generated an awful lot of emails. Um, one was for optometrists to do um, certain types of laser surgery. That was one. And then the other big one was um, uh, to license anesthesia associates in the state of Utah. And I think between those two bills, um, those took over my inbox for at least a week or so, and um, oh. and they both uh, they both are decided and are on their way back to your chamber, Senator. Yay! So um, I think that the the anesthesiologist one is just coming back for concurrence because we already passed that one. So Corey, let me say two things. First of all, in the in legislative parlance. If someone wants to build a, a bill temporarily on hold, we circle it. I, and I got an email this week saying, what does it mean to circle something? It's just pushing the whole button. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of people assume there's something nefarious going on. Well, if, it's, if the bill comes up and the sponsor's in the bathroom, then it gets circled. If the bill comes up and the sponsor's you know, preparing a sub or an amendment, then it's circled. If the bill comes up and the sponsor knows he doesn't have enough votes to pass it, then they'll circle it. And a lot of times it's uncircled five minutes later. Sometimes it's never uncircled, but it's just a way of pressing the pause button. And it's not a bad thing. It's often a very, very good thing that something's circled. But with, this, uh, with these two bills that Representative Lesser mentioned, this is my 11th session and almost every session, but not every session, we have a few turf battles between professionals that come, uh, that come to the floor. And, um, and this is a really bad way to make policy. And I saw another House member um, uh, put on her Facebook today that she voted against the bill because she had heard from 20 CRNAs who were against the bill, and she'd only heard from five uh, assistant anesthesiologists. And I, I couldn't resist commenting, the reason you only heard from five assistant anesthesiologists is because our current law forces them to go outside of Utah to, to practice their profession. Um, and I, I, I actually co-chair a licensing committee called OPLER, the Occupational Professional uh, and Regulatory Licensing. And these issues usually come to us before the session. But here's my standard. I've done so many turf battle bills. I, I, th this is my standard. Um, I don't believe in passing laws to try to put one profession above another unless there's a legitimate public safety health concern. And so when the, uh, when the CRNA people came to see me, I said, how many states allow assistant anesthesiologists to do what you're proposing, what this bill is proposing for Utah? And they said, there's 17 other states, which means there's 33 that don't. I said, I'm not as concerned about the number of states as I am this. Tell me that, tell me in those 17 states, tell me about all of the horrible stories where the public has been harmed because these assistant assistant anesthesiologists are doing what you do in Utah. And they said, oh, there's no data. There's actually no stories. And I said, okay, so what I'm hearing from you is there is no public harm. You just don't want to compete for your job with, with somebody else. And that's what it comes down to. And that's why I supported the bill. 
And the same thing it, with, the, uh, with the dispute between the optometrist and the ophthalmologist, it's the same thing. There's nine other states that allow the optometrist to, to use these little lasers. They brought a laser in to the Capitol and they showed us like they put a piece of paper in front of the laser. The laser couldn't even burn the piece of paper. And I said, how many other states allow ophthalmologists to do this? Well, there's nine. I said, tell me about all of the, the members of the public that are being harmed by ophthalmologists using these lasers. And they said, there aren't any. And so again, I, I don't like these turf battles. I do believe it's the legislature's job to protect the public. I do not believe it's the legislature's job to give one professional leg up against the others. And I, I respect people that, that differ with me, but I've dealt with about two dozens of these turf battles. And I, that's, that's where I've come down is show me, show me what harm we're trying to protect the public from. All right, uh, Representative Acton, why don't you tell us what are one or two bills that you're running? Well, one that I am running that's just coming out uh, has just been put on it is um, the social credit score bill. It's HB 431. I know it's late coming out, but we do have a good momentum and, and we have a Senate sponsor now. Um, and there's a, a big um, groundswell, I guess you could say, to get this bill out there. Um, it just took a long time to draft it. We did some a lot of research first, but um, this bill, and if you're familiar with social credit scores, they're also known as ESG index, environmental, social justice, and governmental scores. And um, it would just uh, prohibit the use of social credit scores for um, to evaluate or assess an individual or a small business in our state. Um, now, Love the it. bank. The Sorry, bank, I have to. Uh... Yeah. You like that? I have to disturb you, but that is fantastic. I love it so much. Great. Keep well, going. there are about six other states that are also working on it. Um, and, and yet I have had some opposition already from banks, which is going to be difficult because Utah is a very, very powerful banking state. Um, and we certainly don't want to upset the banks. Um, on the one hand, they say that they're not using these scores. And on the other hand, they're saying this would be devastating to banks. So. You know, I'm not exactly sure how it could devastate them when they're not. It's more of a preemptive move in my mind, but apparently they are very important to banks. And, and so as I've been doing more research on it and collecting information, it, it does appear that um, they are being used, not necessarily against individuals at this stage. And that's why I hope to pass this bill this year to preempt that. Mm -hmm. But they are being used against, um, for example, uh, in an effort to the decarbonization effort, for example, against businesses that are involved in mining or in um, in coal or anything of that nature. So I'm not sure that that will be encompassed within my bill in the final version, because it's kind of broad at this point in the session to try to go that big. But um, my bill, as it is right now, is is to protect individuals and small businesses. So that's the one I'm really excited about. Another one that's still going through is um, one that would require the Open and Public Meetings Act to actually list out who is not just who is present at the head of the minutes, but on each action item as they vote, so that you can go and see how your school board member, for example voted on specific action items rather than saying all present you know unanimous or whatever because someone may have stepped away or stepped out of the room 
um, or taken a phone call and they weren't involved in the vote. And so this just says that they have to say yes, no, or absent next to each name in every vote. That's just so that we can, right, currently they don't have to do that. And when it comes time to vote for a school board person, you know, they're not partisan. And um, so it's really hard to know how, how they did vote unless you attended all of your school board meetings, which no one does, so. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Those are both good. Yeah. Good thing. Thank you. Representative Lesser, oh. you got one or two to share with us? I do, but I also wanted to shout out another uh, really wonderful bill that Representative Acton introduced uh, on the House floor this um, past week um, to create a bereavement period for um, a three-day paid leave for um family members I, I, you didn't did you specify gender i'm trying to remember if no uh, it was for um either parent either, either biology. Parent. Yeah. that's what I, that's what i thought but it was really yeah. just a very compassionate bill for um people suffering from uh, a loss of a pregnancy and I thought you presented it so beautifully, and I was sorry that I had to be remote and croak from the site. Oh, I, I was remote this whole week, and, and I but I, I felt like I had to get mute off in that case and uh, support you as, oh, as I think many of the women did from the floor. We did, and, and actually that bill came over from the Senate. It was Senator Wayne Harper's bill. And it's the first in the nation. So I was so thrilled to get to be the floor sponsor on that. Something that's so revolutionary. And yet everyone kind of felt like it already existed, but it didn't, so. Well, one, one of the bills that I ran has already um, gone into the history books, although I'm hoping that it will um, uh, rise again next year. And that was to eliminate the tax on food. And I'm hoping that, um, as everyone knows, Senate Bill 59 has already passed and been signed by the governor. There were many good things in Senate Bill 59, but it turned out that this exact same amount of money that was um, uh, it, that it cost to go from 4.95 to 4.85 could have also paid to eliminate the sales tax on or the state sales tax on groceries. So I proposed a floor amendment to replace that. Um, it, it did not, it did not uh, win, but that's all right. We were able to enact a, a nice, a good policy for Utahns. And it's my hope that um, this will get further um, viewing in the coming year. And I think it will. So that, that was one that actually uh, left, left us pretty quickly. Um, another bill that I'm working on has to do with extending coverage for Medicaid for postpartum. Um, as, as many of you know, the postpartum period in Medicaid ends at the 60-day mark, but unfortunately, the complications that occur as a result of pregnancy do not end at 60 days. And as a result of, unfortunately, a really pretty significant rise in maternal mortality in the United States, um, former President Trump's Surgeon General Jerome Adams had really issued a call to action for states to extend the postpartum period to a one-year mark. Um, the Congressional Budget Office has um, 
uh, estimated that it would cost about $500 per covered individual to extend that care uh, for a 10-month period. And um, so I'm going to be um, running running with that. We're going to wait and see the fiscal note. We, you know, we, because it is, um, I, I think that this would certainly be appropriate use for Medicaid expansion funds, um, which are in um, very good shape um, economically. So um, that's one of my focuses for this next, um, the next two week sprint. And as an obstetrician, I certainly can speak to the complications that occur in women after um, delivery, not only um, medical complications like high blood pressure and diabetes, but unfortunately also the complications related to postpartum depression and the reality that suicide is the leading cause of death in Utah women after delivery. So mm. it, it's, it's a, a emotional issue, but also very much an important medical issue in my mind for the state. Yeah, and let me just wrap up, Corey. Um, there is going to be, I think, some action. Robert Gerke reported this over the weekend, um, these last two, two weeks to remove the sales tax on food. But this is, this is what I understand is going to happen. Um, so the, the income tax cut that we've passed, that goes off of income tax. And the income tax fund, you know, to, to the public, tax money is tax money is tax money. But to the legislature, we have this constitutional earmark on the income tax revenue um, that was slightly altered uh, two years ago and gave us some relief. But the sales tax fund is not growing as fast as the income tax fund. And so what the, um, I think what the constitutional amendment would be, and of course the voters would have to vote on this in September or November, is we'll remove the sales tax on food, the state portion at least. I don't think we're going to re remove the city portion. Um, and and it, if the voters will also approve a constitutional amendment that would remove the earmark that we have, the constitu constitutional earmark on the income tax and just let us do like what every other state in the country does. And that is just let us spend our tax money where we need it that year. And so I, I think that you'll see that push through that during these last two weeks and then the voters will decide in November. All right, any final comments on that or anything else? No, it, it's great to be with everyone on a Sunday evening. And I, I certainly hope you have a safe drive, safe drive returning home, Senator Weiler. Yeah, me too. Uh, pray for early snow. So, so it's all over by the time I hit the West Hatch front. Yeah, I'm coming from St. George. Well, thanks, everyone. We'll, Thank we'll, see, you. You. we'll see you soon. Thanks, thanks for so much. having me. Thanks. thanks Thank you. Right, good luck. Look Thank forward you. to the next conversation. Yes. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.